Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of Terry Talks Fiction. Today we have an interview with author Nikki Lee who wrote The Rakan's Familiar which was reviewed on the podcast a couple of weeks ago. Nikki is a New Zealand based author who grew up in Australia and has won multiple awards for her short fiction though The Rakan's Familiar is her debut novel. We chat a bit about the book, a bit about how it came to be, and a bit about the process of building characters and magic systems to fit the world that you've created. So now, with no further ado, please enjoy this interview with author Nikki Lee. Nikki, thank you so much for agreeing to come onto the podcast. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. So this is very exciting for our listeners who may have caught the Terry Talks Fiction podcast a couple of weeks ago. We talked about The Rakan's Familiar, which is Nikki Lee's debut novel set in the first book of what I believe is going to be a trilogy, was it, Nikki? Yes, that's correct. Two books to go. It was very exciting to get on the front foot of this one. It was a book I really, really enjoyed from the just the depth of the characters and the world building, the powerful way that you looked at the theme, uh, the core theme of that, you know, what makes a monster, who is a monster, monstrous acts, monstrous visage, all those sort of explorations I thought were really, uh, really exciting. Was that, I guess, just leaping straight into, uh, straight into talking about the book, was that sort of that central theme, monstrosity, was that something you always had very strongly from the start of writing the book, or is that something that sort of grew out from other ideas that you may have had as you were going through and sort of became the uh, a backbone? Yeah, I guess in a, in a sense it was. So when I started the book, I guess one of the real things that I wanted to get across was the whole basically don't judge a book by its cover. Like don't judge a person before you get to know who they are and what their story is, sort of as the whole walk a mile in their shoes and suddenly you might see the world quite differently. Um, So I was coming at it from that angle. And I guess because one of the characters is a monster is actually, and that's where that whole that theme of monstrosity and um, what makes a monster a monster sort of came through. And I really wanted to explore sort of like how corruption and power play in things, almost twisting the tropes where all of a sudden the knights in shining armour are not actually the good guys in this sense. I'm kind of thinking about, oh, how can I sort of change the tropes that I grew up with through sort of the 90s and early 2000s, try and make it something interesting um, and something fresh. Uh, that was that was obviously the end goal, but as I'm right in the thick of it writing, I kind of just was trying to tell a good story. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I find it's really interesting when you say one of the characters is a monster, because certainly before reading the book and looking at the cover uh, and reading the blurb, uh, you know, you sort of feel like you could pick which character that is. You'd probably go with Scar, the the Rakan uh, of the title. But now, having read the book, I'm not entirely sure is that is that who you're talking about when you say. Uh, one uh, one character is a monster because there's certainly another character in there which I think is much more <laughs> horrible than uh, yeah. than Scar could could ever be. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Scar, I wanted to have sort of have the appearance of a monster. Is someone would take one look at it and go, or look at him, sorry, and go, "There's no way I want to be either near that, have anything to do with it. No, just no, that just no part of it." Um, whereas then I want to then have characters that on the surface might look fine and normal but actually have this really monstrous identity or 
um, behaviour that is actually far, far worse than looking at something that is sort of, again, that whole book cover sort of um, metaphor is having like this horrific book cover, but then actually inside it's quite sweet and, and it actually has a bit of a soft side once you get to know them. Whereas something that has quite this like amazing looking person is actually quite not evil in a sense, but has a very different agenda and that agenda will make them do horrific things. Sort of bouncing off that idea with certainly with Sky, like uh, you've humanized a lot of the characters in this, even you know, human or not, including sort of the the main antagonist. Was that a conscious choice as well to give them those very deliberate layers where the audience or the reader can really relate to a lot of it all around? But nevertheless, as much as you like, so much feel for this person and their history and what they've gone through then seeing them commit these horrible, horrible acts almost seems uh, jarring in, in some in some places, some regards, sort of that reminder to the reader of, I guess, uh, looks versus actions. Uh, was that a deliberate choice as well? Or is that just something that grew as you got to know these characters more and just naturally more came out in the writing and more was included in the in the story? It was definitely a conscious decision. Uh, I really wanted to have almost like an antagonist that wasn't a wasn't evil for the sake of being evil it's not he's not the big bad guy type thing trying to you know take over or destroy the world he's he's like I wanted to give him a bit more nuance in that sense and then I also wanted to sort of explore the idea that sort of in his so in the, in, in the antagonist's mind he is the hero of the story so he believes what he is doing is justified and is the right course of action to do and it's kind of playing with that idea that the road to evil is paved by good intentions sort of like he he was initially trying to do the right thing but and he believes he's doing the right thing but actually from looking at it from the outside is actually no that's not the right thing to be doing actually you're doing a lot of damage and a lot of harm and that sort of relates to with that, the entire societal structure around this book too uh, it feels it feels like there's a lot of certainly with the like the inquisition that, that that's going around stamping out these aberrant forms of magic it's I, one of the things I really enjoyed about how that world building, those world building elements were set up is that these horrible things that these people are doing is almost contextualized by the events that happen at the climax of the book when you sort of see what they are actually afraid of happening if these aberrant forms aren't stamped out. And I guess the danger that is there, that complexity, that, that complex theme of complexity seems to be going through, I guess, a, common thread through all the areas uh, of this book yeah it was definitely one of those things where like I wanted the world building and the magic system in particular like I wanted the laws around it to have come from a, a place where they were actually meant to protect people and this this is a case of when the laws are actually have been taken too far and sort of have almost outlived their use in society or been sort of tweaked and changed to make it's sort of not much beneficial, but kind of like they've just clamped down, they've gone too far one way and not the other. It's that whole sort of, I guess, like if you want to look at it politically, it's that whole conservative, like left-right is like going, if you go down to too far at this side is it doesn't work you have to find sort of a, a happy point and this is a case where something that was meant to do good is actually ultimately starting to do harm because it's been taken too far in one direction i'm sure that's not a contemporary commentary of any kind there is yeah, it, it, wasn't intended to be. <laughs> <laughs> it was uh this this was written a long time before with the current state of politics <laughs> <laughs> 
but it's somehow oddly occasionally still relevant in some ways. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> but, yeah, it was never intended to be any sort of political commentary, but here we are. <laughs> it's almost that it's almost a perennial theme i guess isn't it the the it's the, really the danger of extremism regardless of intention yeah absolutely like i took a lot of inspiration from like i did a lot of ancient history and studied like the fall of rome and the rise and fall of athens um and it's it's got sort of fairly similar themes where sort of uh people take advantage or push something too far one way and the whole system sort of crumbles <laughs> uh you say this book was a long time in in the process of of building up the world uh, and that how long did it take you from I guess conception to coming up with this final product I started writing this I think I should know the answer to this because I have answered it several times but then I think about it I'm just like oh my gosh it can't be that long um so I, I started writing it around about I want to say 2005 2006 just like a couple chapters for myself and then I ended up getting uh was doing a so university cred writing uh course and I decided to redo the opening chapters and submit it and that was in 2000 and I want to say eight or nine and from then that was kind of the the chapters not quite the same but they kind of the general thread of where it was going that's kind of where it started so all up it's taken about 15 or 16 years um, there was a couple of big breaks in between, sort of where I sort of uh, moved state, moved country, got a job and all that sort of stuff. Uh, so that all happened in the meantime. <laughs> and then, yeah, I hit 30 and decided, right, I've got to finish this manuscript because it was kind of my 30-year goal, um, hit the big three zero and finish the manuscript. Uh, and so, yeah, that's that's how long it took. <laughs> there we go. I wonder if there's something about aging into 30 that makes you decide that that was when you got you get your writing uh, writing gig on if you're going to make it happen. Got a, 20s is kind of how you figure out how to adult and then 30s like, oh, God, I have to get my shit together. <laughs> <laughs> and so I feel like it was kind of the manuscript was kind of the embodiment of that as like I've been dabbling in this for like 10 years. So it's time to actually, you know, sit down and write the thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Do you feel like that time that you had to sort of just think about it, sit with the world, uh, develop different, uh, experiment with different ideas in different directions, do you think that contributed to, like, I've sort of said a number of times here, like, the world building and the the systems in this book are, are quite complex and quite quite detailed, quite nuanced as well. Do you feel like they sort of, were they sort of percolating across that entire period? Yeah, in a way, it was always sitting there in the back of my head. Um, and I would often like I'd come home and I would sp- sort of spend an, an hour or two sort of tinkering around or like with a little sh- side story that I'd be writing because I didn't want to have to write the main thing. So that was my way <laughs> of like exploring the world in a way, almost like writing really bad fan fiction for my own book. <laughs> it's pretty horrifically written. <laughs> I remember reading parts of it and I was like, this is never going to see the light of day. <laughs> but then... I think a big part of it is when I started and I had kind of a basic sort of visions of where I wanted it to go is I definitely felt that I didn't have the life experience to tell the story that I wanted. I was like, I want to have to be able to convey the emotion that I want to convey. Um, Like how can I write about sort of losing a family member if I've never lost a family member, that sort of thing. Like I can imagine it, but I can't know with a certainty what that is like. Fortunately, now I do know what that's like. But it was just that understanding that life experience and almost being able to look back at the person I was and understanding the journey that I've gone through. So a lot of Lissa's journey is mirrors my own journey with coming to sort of terms and understand my anxiety. So that played a huge role in my 20s. 
and having that understanding be able to look back and see, okay, actually this character is in some parts of it is basically it's still part of me. And that went into the book and that was a huge made a huge difference in terms of just the arc that she goes through um, and her journey. I ended up going, this This was the, like, it was almost like it was, I was writing it without realising I was writing it until I kind of, the penny dropped. <laughs> I was going to ask whether the the idea of the building, you know, the building madness that she's carrying around and so like this ticking time bomb, whether that was a deliberate allegory uh, of of something deeper. Yeah, so I had met, um, I've had anxiety for about, oh, 10 plus years now and it kind of hit me out of the blue and I was just like what is this like something is not right and it took me a long time to understand what it was and it was that again like you described it's very kind of creeping sensation and sort of not knowing when something is going to happen um so I'd have like panic attacks um and that sort of thing and you'd have panic attacks about having panic attacks it's kind of this vicious circle and so I wanted to have with Liz as she has this like obviously her outward journey is traveling across the mountains, but then I wanted her inward journey to be kind of kind of learning to accept that anxiety is not something that you can just like, it's not like the flu, you don't get over it. <laughs> you learn to live with it and you learn to accept it. And I think a big part of that in my journey, a big part of that was learning that, yes, it's actually part of me now and I've got to come to terms with it. And the first step is to accept that I've got this and then the next step is then learning how to control it. And so in her first book is her going through the stages of like denial, like, no, 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 I'll be fine, whatever. And then eventually going, actually, this is who I am now. This is part of me. Um, and that was her major arc in the, um, the story. Yeah. Mm, it marks really well, I think, too, because there's a lot of, when you've got something uh, like anxiety or depression, there's a, a real tendency to sort of alienate oneself from, from the other people around them, uh, which also seemed like that's very reflective of Scar's arc, who's been alienated from his pack uh, since he was very young. And then they've both been put in this position where they cannot be alienated from each other uh, as well. With the idea of binding them together like that, was there a, a deliberate narrative choice uh, for so how their character arc and journey was going? Or was that something that you wanted to play with first, with the idea of like, you know reversing this idea of a witch's familiar uh, in a way, and then it just sort of it lent itself to uh, to expanding out into these other areas. Uh, definitely uh, the latter. There is it was kind of the initial idea. Is <laughs> I've described it before as kind of had this sort of um, scene in my head of basically these two characters arguing in a forest, and like like writing arguing characters is a lot of fun, and you can have a lot of fun with the banter back and forth and that sort of thing. And so, yeah, the idea that I was like, how can I twist this familiar trope? that Because I love the animal companion trope. I think it's fantastic. I, I, I can't read enough of it. But then I was like, okay, what, what? how can I make it something that's unique to me? And so I decided to reverse it and have these two creatures bound. And a lot of that came from the likes of Robin Hobb to the Farseer, or real of the Eldling series, there's a lot of that in there. And there's a couple others like that. Um, I think Jonathan Stroud's Bartimaeus trilogy is a bit of that. But yeah, just I, I love the sort of the creature companion that just kind of gets me quite interested. And I really enjoy watching two characters that are complete strangers to suddenly find 
common ground to sort of, especially if they sort of don't get along. So they go from the arguing to slowly coming to understand who each other is, their strengths, their weaknesses, what they're afraid of, I think was a big one. And actually learning that we're all not all that different in terms of like, we all have very similar needs. Like everyone wants to sort of be loved. Everyone wants to sort of, everyone needs to eat, that sort of thing, is that there are some universal things that everyone shares and them discovering that is kind of the part that I really enjoy and almost healing each other in a way. It's interesting too, because they're not the only, there's sort of two or three partnership pairs in the book, uh, I guess, that are all sort of orbiting uh, one another at various times. And then you you also get someone who joins the two, you know, Scar and Liss, towards the latter third of the book. When you were building in all those different characters, were they all sort of reflective of some idea or of some um, something you wanted to explore in terms of the sort of that, the central theme? Or did you have the sort of the character idea first of, oh, this would be really cool. And then as uh, as you wrote them in and developed them in, they sort of grew those other characteristics uh, similar to the familiar idea. I guess like I like they all like I, I wrote them because I needed them to serve a purpose in some way, like whether to show what was going on um, in a particular place or because I wanted them to be there to kind of have a trope associated with them or a um a, a twist on the trope. So for the likes of you've got Darren and Hayne, who are two brothers, and they're basically following along behind Liz trying to warn her. And their story was quite inspired by a book that I read when I was about. I want to say about 12 or 13, and it's a really old one. It's um, called Dream Snake by Rhonda McIntosh, I think her name is. Very, 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 very good, and she won several Hugos, I think, for it. And essentially it's got the same trope, and it was the first time I'd seen the guy chasing after the girl <laughs> instead of the other way around. And for whatever reason, that left an impression on me, and so I really wanted to sort of do that in my own work. So a lot of the character choices are often inspired by things that I have read basically across my lifetime and so that particular instance of them following following the girl is I wanted to mirror that in my own work and then the likes of uh, who else is there there's got there's Brennus and Hasek uh, who are soldiers Um, and again I had them initially just to kind of be almost the bad guys and then they kind of just sprout wings and grew themselves and so they pop up again in book two. (laughs) Oh great. Um, things like that yeah so a couple of them have taken light on lives of their own like much more than I anticipated so there is a little bit of like kind of the character likes to take the wheel (laughs) and try and make the story about them so yeah there's there's definitely an element of both I guess I did find Hasek was a very interesting character I'm glad to hear that we're going to get more of them very very multi-layered I I think it it seems that they're going to be yeah he's probably one of the funnest characters to write and the motive I had behind writing him was that basically is up until this point we're taught all soldiers that belong to the order are bad and he kind of shirks that um he's not actually he's he's he even says in the book is like oh we're not all horrible people something to that effect I should not have wrote it but I can't remember what the line is but yeah basically buck the trend so that was his his original purpose and then he kind of grew from there it's an interesting thing too, because the way that we're first introduced to Hasek is not terribly flattering for his character. No. <laughs> uh, yeah, he's 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 an interesting character, I'll put it that way. <laughs> Another character I really enjoyed was uh, Bryn. Yeah, Bryn was a character. Yeah. The, one of the only characters that kind of popped out at me from left field. I wasn't expecting them, and then they suddenly they were there. And I was like, right, we've got three people now <laughs> on this road train tired of going to the, the city of um, Oedis. So, yeah, so Bryn was 
and she kind of just popped out because I, I felt like the at that point that we kind of gotten used to the the dynamic duo of Liz and Scar and there needed to be something to come in just to kind of shake things up and potentially challenge how they each of them think and so she sort of came along and my thoughts for her was I wanted someone that was a bit older than Liz um, that could be almost a bit of a mentor in a way um, but still young enough to like not nothing like the mentor she has at the beginning who's quite old but still sort of young enough and um, I wanted her to kind of be this force of nature that kind of uh, is very very difficult to sort of not so much reason with but like kind of what she says she says what she thinks and she's not ashamed of who she is um, so I wanted her to be this character that Liz could potentially aspire to be. Certainly having her character seems to have a lot more experience with the idea of these magical bonds, which is uh, something I guess Liz and Scar are desperately trying to acclimate to uh, throughout when we've got some another now a character who's quite experienced with specifically that. Yeah, like she's definitely found, I guess, like um, that sort of happy meeting place between her. So um, if anyone who hasn't read the story, uh, Bruni is basic is a character based off like a berserker. So wears a bear skin and can turn into a bear. However, she tends to not berserk quite as much in the traditional sense. But yeah, so she's capable of turning to an enormous bear, and which is why I wanted her as a force of nature. I thought it worked quite well. But yeah, so she's quite comfortable in who she is and what she is. She doesn't sort of try to subdue the the bear spirit that is inhabiting the bear skin. She's very much aware. She's kind of found this really natural equilibrium with it and is very, very comfortable in her own skin, which was not a pun intended, but I'll take it. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. I think it really, that's a good place to launch off to onto the idea of how the magic system is treated in this story, because uh, the idea of having you know the magical ether that sort of infuses everything across multiple planes of existence of which people can draw different parts of from different sides and, and in different ways. How did that develop? How did you develop that? Was there something like you like rune-based magic systems and wanted to make uh, put your own twist on it or like the idea of uh, of these creatures existing in in uh, across dimensional space with each other or so what was I guess the kernel there because it, it deeply fascinated me um I'm trying to think like I don't think it was there was any one uh like kind of it wasn't like a one aha moment it was a lot of things kind of just coming together at a time so yeah like the rune system I was like okay so they've got runes and then like I was thinking about how the power works and like do I want monsters to live in the the real world or if I want them to be sort of um kind of living in this sort of other world um so the other world's been like the concept has been around for quite a long time but then I kind of liked the idea of sort of having it's like the whole like dimensions as you have dimensions that are layered on top of each other's which is probably more of a sci-fi thing so that came about just kind of mushed together in my brain over however many years it was and eventually came out as like kind of going okay I want to have another world where you can draw on magical creatures and then why don't I make that other world basically the source of all magic, which is ether. So it basically this other world is full of the stuff, um, full of ether and then people can then have learned how to tap into it through runes and then various other magics have different ways of drawing on it to sort of create powerful spells or chants or whatever. And so, yeah, that was the kind of like bringing all these different things that have, again, influenced me and then trying to, kind of put my own spin on it, I guess. One thing I particularly enjoyed, I guess, was the inherent idea of the danger that lies there, not only for humans who are dipping into it, but also for the native creatures that live in that space. Uh, There's this constant 
constant danger for them of uh, of losing themselves to it. I guess did that play back to theme for you uh, with the constant sense of something could go wrong, could drag you down? I guess um, like it, it kind of plays to the fear like it, it's almost like I use a lot of language that sort of um, around sort of sounds like water in a way and so I was thinking about like oh everyone's scared of going into the dark water because you know there's sharks and other little creepies that might get, come and get you and I feel like that was definitely part of my psyche growing up in Perth <laughs> there's a lot of sharks over there <laughs> but I think for the whole creation of it is that the sense of danger is I wanted to have I, I remember writing down somewhere and this was one of those like um, lines that you scribble down like after you had a shower thought or like when you're driving you're like oh I like that um, and I wrote something along the lines of that stronger magic eats weaker magic and I liked this idea of magic that would kind of eat itself in a way so you have sort of these it's kind of its own little sort of ecosystem in a way you're going to have sort of apex predators and then you're going to have the the grubs and whatnot that kind of do all the things in it that sort of keep the system turning um, and surviving. Uh, so that's kind of how I approached it, is that it's kind of the, the African savannah, but in the, the other world is there's a lot of danger things in there. It's a lot of beauty as well, but it's also that like if you you don't want to be out there on your own type thing because you want to have a pack or a pride or, a, or like a flock to, to stay with, you know, safety numbers type thing. Now that you've said it too, the idea of uh, of sharks at one point of the book, the very distinct idea of that there's blood in the water attracting yeah. uh, attract the apex predators makes a lot of sense. I can see that. So, like, it wasn't something, again, it wasn't something that I consciously wrote in, but, like, afterwards I went, oh, <laughs> the penny dropped. I went, oh, that's probably where that came from. <laughs> Some of the best moments as an author too, isn't it, when you can sit there and see everything fall into place. Yeah, yeah. You're like, of course, I thought about that way in advance. <laughs> it wasn't just a yeah. Yeah, I think one of the things I was really impressed with was the way that you've managed to present the magic system to the reader uh, as well. Like we in those first those first three chapters, there is so much magic going on that is so incredible, almost inscrutable as a reader because it's just the characters obviously know what's going on but the reader being completely new to the world is just watching them go through all these things that they know what they're doing but you don't and yet by the end you've got some of this world shattering crazy magic stuff going on which by that point is all entirely legible to the reader i was really impressed by sort of how the book manages to present it and, and explore it for the reader was that a trick that was difficult to get right Oh, yes. <laughs> that took a lot of edits to get right. Like, like really early on, um, like I get people saying, I have no idea what this is. You would explain it. And I'd be like, I don't really want to do that. As you know, Bob, piece of dialogue to explain what was happening. I wanted to try and show it as best I could without actually. So I was trying to think of all these scenarios where I could show how the magic system works and people could learn along with that. But finding the right scenario and the right balance to sort of give enough information that a new, like a new reader to the book can understand what's going on without it falling into like info dump territory that was definitely that was really difficult and yeah that that took a lot of time to get right how did you uh, how did you handle that was that was that something you worked through with your editor or uh, beta readers or just your own familiarity with your world as you were writing it allowing you to craft it better as time went on yeah, so I had a writing group locally that, and I was bringing the first chapter along each time, like, does this make sense now? Does this make sense now? Um, so that was like kind of before it even been um, 
completely drafted. So that was probably maybe five or six years ago now. So I kept rocking up with new sheets and versions where I'm like, does this make more sense now? And like, it got to the point where like they were asking me for a glossary and I'm like, okay, when they stop asking me for a glossary, I think I'm okay. <laughs> so um, eventually, yeah, like they obviously got familiar with it over time, but it, and then I kind of would find new readers to just kind of test the first couple paragraphs or the first couple chapters um, with to sort of see if they could follow it. So there's a lot of that with like kind of various readers, but like, does this make sense? I just need to know if the magic system makes sense. And that was all I would ask. So, yeah. <laughs> I guess it shows like how much, again, how much work it is to make something appear effortless. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of work going on there. Like a lot of like, just like slouch over the keyboard, just like staring at the page for sort of a good 30 minutes going, there's got to be a better way to do this. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for uh, running us through some of these uh, developmental things and, and your ideas behind how the Rakan's familiar came together. What do you sort of see next for the, I guess, for the series, uh, your next steps? Uh, obviously, there's more books in you've got planned for the series. Uh, uh, have they got the go ahead now? Are you free to start writing them and, and running down the hill with that? I don't have any firm dates yet. I can tell you that I have drafted the second book. Uh, so I'm currently going through my own edits for that because um, I've, I've kind of identified a few things I need to change and tweak. So that hopefully I'll be finished editing, doing my own edits probably by the end of the year with any luck. And then I have to wait and see when the publisher wants it next. And then book three is like the little, what's the saying? Like little spa, star in my eye type thing. I've got an a basic outline and that's about it <laughs> so it is planned to be a trilogy do you have any plans for i guess like are there any like side stories you might set in this in this world oh, and so exploring many side stories that i want to tell <laughs> so i was like i was like maybe i can squeeze in a little side story like in between books but we'll see how we go <laughs> Perfect. Get it. Get the get the novella uh, of uh, of yeah, yeah, yeah. what happened twenty years before the uh, the start of the story. Exactly. Or oh, there's so many ways I could take it, which is great because it means it kind of keeps me interested in the world and the story. I'm like, oh, well, if I don't like that one, I can just go to the other one. <laughs> <laughs> It'll get all that uh, all, all that fan self fan fiction up on Patreon or something. At some yeah, point. yeah, I might need some serious serious editing before it goes anywhere near that. <laughs> <laughs> And do you have anything else in the works at the moment, anything beside the the Rakan series, like any other short fiction, for, for example? Uh, so I'm part of an anthology that's coming up, coming out of PS Publishing in the UK, which is, I don't actually know what it's going, they're going to call it, but it's basically a bunch of us have got, um, Aussie writers have got together to write um, speculative fiction inspired by The Wasteland by T.S. Eliot. So it's the centennial year since of its publication this year. Um, so hopefully, I'll hopefully have news about that soon, I think, because I think they initially slated it for October, but I don't know if that's still going ahead, but they are hoping to publish it by the end of 2022. And then in early 2023, I'm also part of an anthology that's a, a group of shared stories about a cursed shard. So the, sort of the premise is a cursed shard breaks apart and we each author tells a story about a different part of the shard. So I'm diving into sort of a desert fantasy for that one. Ooh, that, that, those both sound uh, quite interesting. Yeah, they were a lot of fun to write, actually. <laughs> I'm covering it, yeah. It wasn't the you know, 150,000-word novel. It's just like a nice, sweet sort of 4,000, 7,000-word stories. So much easier. A bit of a return to uh, return to your roots there, I guess. Yeah, yeah. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for uh, for coming on today, Nikki. Um, really appreciate that. If people want to pick up a copy of the the Rakan's Familiar, if they haven't already read it, where would be the best place for that? It is available, I think, on almost every single online bookstore that I can name. Um, and you can order it online for like a print copy from the likes of Booktopia, um, Amazon, uh, probably more than that. But those are the two that spring to mind for for Australia. <laughs> Brilliant. I'll pop the link of uh, for both of those in the show notes for listeners as well. Lastly, thank you again, and uh, hopefully the the next couple of books come along well. Thank you, and thank you so much for having me. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> Catch you later, Nikki. See you. And that was our interview with author Nikki Lee. If you haven't read The Rakan's Familiar, but this has piqued your interest, you'll find a link to where you can buy the novel in the show notes of this podcast below. Next time on the Terry Talks Fiction Podcast, we'll be talking about The Chimera Code by Wayne Santos, a story about magic and cyberpunk hacking into databases across the globe while using magically imbued sentient swords. This is a book that has a little bit of everything, and we'll be talking about how well it pulls that off and how the genres of fantasy and cyberpunk do blend together. Until then... I hope that you all read, watch, or write something that's really exciting, and I look forward to talking about it with you all very soon. I was trying hard not to, I guess, say like any question that was going to end up being like a spoiler for. I realized pretty early, and if I say, if I say that word, then it's going to be very obvious in like before chapter, you know, twelve or whatever it is, where he where he's revealed. <laughs> shit, I guess I can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> I really want to comment on how, um, on like the subversion of, of and then how that ends. Oh uh, shit, I yeah. can't say that. <laughs> <laughs> so, that, that he really... was always destined to be cannon fodder i'm afraid <laughs> yeah i really i really appreciated that i have to admit because um it was it that was one of those trope subversions which was you've seen the trope so many times uh, exactly. and no you are not <laughs> yeah in fact not only you're not <laughs> we're just gonna erase you from the book <laughs> from yeah. the series that's very nice